Happy New Year, everyone. I am so happy for you all to journey into 2020 with us here at Dole Whip and Dreams. As always, I'm Maddie Limerick, and this week I'm joined by Case Aiken as we trash the camp and take a deep dive into the 1999 action-adventure Tarzan. The release of Tarzan marks the release of the 37th animated feature for Walt Disney Feature Animation, but it also marks the end of the Disney Renaissance era. The film is loosely based on Tarzan and the Apes by Edgar Rice Burroughs, and was the first animated adaptation of this story. There was a general surprise that this was the first animation of the story because, according to President of Feature Animations of Disney, Thomas Schumacher, in animated form, Tarzan is able to connect to the animals on a deeper level than he ever could in a live-action adaptation. But let's start in 1994, when my favorite animated film of the 90s was released, a Goofy movie. Don't at me, folks. I'm still holding out for that Powerline full album here. (laughs) But following his work on the Goofy movie, director Kevin Lima was approached by Jeffrey Katzenberg to head Tarzan, which he wanted to shop out to a Canadian-based satellite television animation studio. This idea heavily upset Lima because he questioned the ability of the complexities needed for this animation to be handled by inexperienced animators. But quickly following Katzenberg's resignation, cue No One Mourns the Wicked, (laughs) Eisner decided to move Tarzan to feature animation, which caused Lima to immediately sign on. Now, Lima was moved by this visual theme in the novel of two hands being held up against each other. This obviously became a huge symbol in the film, but also showed the metaphor of Tarzan's search for identity. Now, Lima felt that he was looking for something that would underscore Tarzan's sense of being alike, yet different from his ape family. The touching of the hands is how Tarzan realizes that he and Jane are physically, quote-unquote, the same. Fresh off his work on Pocahontas, Chris Brock was brought on board as the second director, and in 1995, they officially received the rights from the Burroughs estate to move forward with this production. They quickly realized that they needed a different third act than the book, because in the novel, Tarzan leaves for London, and in this version of the story, that was going to deviate from the central theme of the film, which was family. Husband and wife duo Bob Tudziker and Noni White, along with comedy writer Dave Reynolds, were brought in to punch up the script. One challenge the writers faced was how Tarzan should learn about his past. Bonnie Arnold, the producer of Tarzan, gives us some insight. When Kala takes Tarzan back to the treehouse, she's essentially telling him that he's adopted. This necessitated him encountering humans and recognizing that he is one of them. As a way to explore these feelings, adoptive parents were brought in to talk about their story and their time with their families to the team. Another huge hurdle for the team to overcome was the inherent and overt racism in the original text by Burroughs. They chose to make a conscious effort not to include any African characters in order to avoid the topic. Wow, Disney avoiding dealing with racist stereotypes. Who's surprised? Though, in in all seriousness, if we can talk about this, I think it was an intelligent choice by the team, and also clouding it with too many human characters I think really confuses Tarzan at the end of the day. With the script underway, the casting process begins, and Brendan Fraser auditions twice for the role, before he actually lands the role in the live-action debut of George of the Jungle. Now, Turk was originally written as a male gorilla, but after Rosie O'Donnell auditioned, Terry quickly recharacterized Turk as a female. Now, as a kid, I didn't really look at Turk as gender, just as Tarzan's kind of asshole best friend. But the next story of casting makes me kind of so happy that they had to rework and recast. 
The neurotic elephant Tantor was originally cast as Woody Allen, but following his exit, uh, Katzenberg courted Allen to leave Tarzan and come work on Ants at DreamWorks. And if he did, the studio would then release his next four films. So in 1996, Tantor was recast as Wayne Knight of Seinfeld fame. I think we really dodged a bullet. Just knowing what was coming from Alan, I think this is one step that Disney was able to take. And one time where Katzenberg didn't particularly mess up a Disney movie, even after he left. Now, Tarzan was created at all three Disney animation studios. Tarzan was animated in Paris, supervised by Glenn Keane. Jane was animated in Burbank, supervised by Ken Duncan. And the Florida Satellite provided character animation and specific effect animation. They used a system developed during Mulan called a scene machine, where the studios could send roughs back and forth between the two. That also played into daily video conferences between the three studios, as you can imagine, this, of course, led to some problems with 6,000 miles and several time zones between all three studios. Like many kids in the 90s, Keen's son's interest in extreme sports. I think even the Summer X Games happened on property in Disney in Florida several times, if I remember, uh, led Keen to give Tarzan this like surf-like movement through the trees. And while the director's voice concerns about turning sur Tarzan into like a surfer dude... They were sold when Test Animations uh, set to Son of Man debuted using movement inspired by Tony Hawk. To make these sprawling and stunning backgrounds of spinning and winding trees, the studio used a program called Deep Canvas to render about 75% of the backgrounds in this film. We would see this technique used again in Atlantis and Treasure Planet, which I will cover later this season. When we talk about Tarzan... With anyone, I think the first thing that always comes to mind is the literal iconic score of songs by Phil Collins. Early in production, Lima and Buck decided not to follow the typical Disney tradition of the character songs. I didn't want Tarzan to sing, Lima said. I just couldn't see this half-naked man sitting on a branch breaking into song. I thought it would be ridiculous. Lima obviously hadn't been to Fire Island during the Broadway Bear Stripathon, but here we are. But this ultimately did pay off, combining the moving songs of Collins and the massive film score by Disney vet Mark Mancina, Tarzan feels like an epic musical without being one, which I guess is why it led to the Disney theatrical's production of Tarzan, which ultimately flopped on Broadway. With final financial forecasting in, Disney execs expected to make between 450 and 500 million worldwide. And at the close of the box office, they made about $448 million, which is nothing to shake a branch at. At its release, the film's expansive scenery and moving story were compared to The Matrix, stating the neatest computer-generated background work since Keanu Reeves did the backstroke in slow motion. I personally find Tarzan way more rewatchable than The Matrix trilogy, but maybe that's just me. Though like several films before it, it didn't live up to the critical expectation, leaving some feeling... It falls way short of Disney's best output and featured weak comic relief or lacking an epic sweep of Mulan or The Lion King and was laced with feeble background songs from Phil Collins, who would win an Oscar. But this King of Swingers may be merchandise-friendly, but is no jungle VIP. These reviewers had jokes, apparently. <laughs> now, while during this time, film technology was booming and there were higher and higher expectations of Disney films, I think these reviews missed the mark. I remember this was the first movie in a while that it was like 
cool to like and talk about in my high school. I mean, the boys even passed around a VHS clamshell copy that everybody gushed over in different classes. Now, don't go trash in the camp. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back, dreamers. Today, I've got another amazing podcast host with me from the Certain Point of View Podcast Network. It's Case Aiken. Case, it's so good to be recording with you on my show this time. I know. I'm so happy to be on here, man. Uh, Thank you for having me. This is honestly all your fault. You've had me on your show a couple times, then I was like, you know what? I'm going to do one of my own. And here we are. Well, I'm proud of you. I think you really should. So this is good. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Why don't you tell the audience a little about, about yourself, the content you create, and kind of what part Disney has played in your life? Okay. Uh, so the content I create. So I'm part of the Certain POV Podcast Network, which is a collective of, of nerds who have uh, started off with a, a mutual appreciation of Star Wars and then expanded out to lots of different stuff. So I do three shows. One is Another Pass, which Maddie has been on a couple of times. Uh, and that is a show where we talk about movies that we find fascinating but flawed in some way and like try to speculate on ways that they could have been improved at the time of production. Uh, and then we, uh, I also am the host of Scruffy Nerf Herders, which is a Star Wars Dungeons and Dragons game. Uh, I'm the dungeon master and the editor for it. And then uh, I am also the host of Men of Steel, which is a Superman appreciation podcast. Um, and generally, I, I'm just an enthusiastic geek about a lot of stuff, so I'm just happy to talk about anything. And that includes Disney, which is why I'm glad to be here today. Uh, Disney, I, you know, it's such a huge part of pop culture in general. It's hard not to be somewhat affected by it throughout. Like I, as a mm-hmm. kid, I was a huge fan of all the Disney movies. Like one of my earliest memories is going to Disney world. Um, <laughs> I don't really remember the trip. I just remember this like little Mickey mouse figure that I got on the trip uh, and just staring it at the hotel room we were staying at. Um, <laughs> so like, yeah. And like we, you know, we're, we were East coasters growing up, so it was pretty easy for us to get down to Florida pretty consistently. Um, yeah. I remember doing the nighttime train a lot down to Disney World, uh, like the like the overnight and mm-hmm, like having the mm-hmm. uh, where you can like load your car onto it and like take it down that way. Uh, so like Disney World was a big part of like vacations growing up, uh, and, and and yeah, so like lots of like the Disney afternoon was huge for me. Like yeah. you know, <laughs> Ducktales, Chippendale, <laughs> Darkwing Duck, like Tailspin, um, and then uh, sorry, did we say what movie we're talking about today? Uh, no, we haven't yet. No, we have not. Today we're talking, well, yes, earlier technically. So the first half of the show is always a little bit of history. So our audience knows exactly what movie we're doing uh, by this point, uh, unless they jumped ahead for some reason. But yeah, no, they should know that we're talking about Tarzan. Yeah, and this is a huge cross-section of nerddom for me because I have Mm -hmm. also always been a giant Tarzan nerd, which is why I wanted to talk about this movie because when this movie came out was about the same time that I actually, like, finally sat down and read the the majority of the Edgar Rice Burroughs books. Mm-hmm. Uh, like they had, uh, they had just recently gone into this like publication cycle of doing like uh, double features, like two books at a time uh, published into one. Cause they're all like 150 mm-hmm, to mm-hmm, 250 mm-hmm. pages. Um, so yeah. So like, it was like this one summer I just had been reading all of them and that's when the movie came out and I was so excited to check it out. And I love this movie. Mm-hmm. It's, it is one of my favorite Disney movies of all time. Uh, it's basically in competition. It's basically in competition with Goofy Movie, which up until recently, I did not know had the same director. 
Same director. Absolutely. Yeah. I was going to bring that up because I know we both love Goofy movie as well. I know. It's so crazy. Uh, I had no idea for the longest time. I don't know why I never looked into that part of it. I just I, I think because like Disney has sort of its own um, monolithic nature to its production cycle like, yeah, for a absolutely. long time. You know, there was issues with like even crediting screenwriters because they'd claim that it was all uh, like storyboard driven, mm-hmm. even if it was like very clearly a real screenplay. Uh so I, don't, I just don't think I ever like really thought about it. I just sort of thought about like the the broader like here's the creative team putting this together because like mm-hmm. you know with an animation thing it's very collaborative. You've got so much thought going into all the aspects yeah. and that informs the story. Um, and then a lot of thought about how they adapted Tarzan, which is not easy to adapt into mm-hmm. a child friendly uh, modern thing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah. Um, so you you kind of jump straight to my first question for you. Um, yeah, no, I, I thought it was really interesting while I was doing the research that the directors actually took a lot of care to completely leave out all of the African native characters from the book in order to avoid any sort of kind of the racist legacy that was connected to the Burroughs books. Just because you know it was a time, it was a very different time when the books were written, and um, you know that was one of those kind of very smart. Choices they made, but yeah, I until we was researching for this episode, I had no clue that it was the 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 directors from Goofy movie, um, which is kind of the most Disney thing when you think about it. To be like, cool, we did Goofy movie, and now we're doing Tarzan. Um, or like when I was doing the Hercules episode, um, that that like it's directly connected to Treasure Planet because the directors of Hercules only did Hercules so that uh, Katzenberg would greenlit Treasure Planet, and that's just so weird to me because they're in two different spectrums of kind of Disney movies for me. So it's uh, but yeah, no, I remember this being the first Disney movie as like a teenager that made it okay to like Disney movies as like a boy. Um, Cause like I always grew up with Disney movies. I watched all of them. We had all of the like VHSs of the live action movies that they'd re-released from the sixties and seventies. And so like I didn't have TV growing up, but I had Disney movies. So I knew Disney movies. Um, but I even remember like there was a clamshell uh, VHS that got passed around the boys in my freshman class history, uh, my freshman history class in high school, because it was like really cool to like this action, like it was a a true animated action movie. Um, and I remember this being one of the first that I was like super emotionally invested in when I went to see it in the theaters as well. Yeah, I I ended up not seeing it in theaters. It wasn't until it came out on DVD. um, And this was in this like rotation I had of about five DVDs that I got right when I got a my like my first laptop. Mm -hmm. Uh, We didn't own a DVD player in my house. So I got this laptop. It had a DVD drive. And I was like, I can watch movies anywhere. What? Um, So I started like slowly accumulating movies to watch on it. Mm -hmm. And so like this was in that first cycle of like five that I like lived with for like my sophomore year of high school. Mm Uh, and I just mm-hmm. fucking constantly had it on. Even when I was in class, I would have like the window minimized and like the subtitles on of just like one of these movies. And, you know, obviously I wasn't switching them out mid class because that would be pretty obvious. Uh, so <laughs> I would uh, I would typically just like have the same one in there pretty much the whole day and then kind of like switch. Um, but, yeah, I watched this movie so much uh, as a result. Like at the time, it it it, it was like a very remarkable 
work. I, I think like one of the reasons I love this movie so much is I think it's one of my favorite examples of like a three act structure in a screenplay. Like it's very obvious, but it works so well. Like there's such mm-hmm. defined points where the stakes have changed dramatically. And I like, it's up there in my my echelon of like perfect example movies. Like when you're trying to talk about like what a movie screenplay looks like in theory, you know, like obviously rules yeah. are meant to be broken and there's tons of great movies out there that defy like the three act structure or defy like the beat sort of system of it all. But like this movie, if you're like, look, you can take this movie in three chunks and they are separate like short films that mm-hmm. are equally compelling and interesting and have larger thematic, uh, pardon me, larger thematic elements that combine with each other in, in really fascinating ways. It's j- such a, it's such a well structured movie. And like yeah, that, I, I I appreciate that so much. In addition to being beautiful, like the the animation is so great. It's such a great mm-hmm. fusion of like the C, like early CG and also animated styles. Like I wish that more movies were like this because you get this wonderful blending that you know eventually we kind of move towards the flashier full mm-hmm. CG stuff. And uh, you know, there's kind of a, a movement back with like cell shading, but like this, it's so good. There's so much wonderful like yeah. line work on stuff and then like combine that with like this dynamic 3d element uh particularly with like the, him swinging around uh which yeah. i have to think to tie it back to goofy movie goofy movie had a lot of like skateboarding love in it mm-hmm. not um not to the not to the extent that it's uh x games infused sequel had but it <gasps> was at least <laughs> uh, but there's some really cool shots and you have to wonder that like the directors were like how do we do something like kind of skateboardy in a Tarzan movie? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Uh, Cause yeah. uh, famously they had like Tony Hawk and like other pro skaters, like do yeah. moves to kind of get the, the body language down of the character. And it was a really innovative way to add to what had been a very stale format for Tarzan, who uh, is very well known for like swinging around on vines. Like how do you do more than that? Especially when you're doing an animated movie, you know, yeah. you can do so much more. Well, and I think it was such a product of its time, too, of, like, why why the kind of uh, extreme sports element, you know, Glenn Keane, who was animating Tarzan, I believe, his son loved skateboarding and surfing. And so they wanted to give Tarzan that kind of element without making him a surfer dude. But it's such a cool, like, I can't think of another choice that would have made as much beautiful... Uh, sense as the actual like he swings a little but he slides he skateboards he surfs but it's so fluid and really let them flex on the animation side of it that I can't imagine them not making another choice but it's also such a direct correlation of this was when the X Games were at its peak of popularity I believe they were hosting the X Games almost every year summer X Games at least at the wide world of sports on Disney property um, so, like, Disney was heavily invested in um, in extreme sports. So it kind of, to me, makes a ton of sense that they made that kind of tiny stylistic choice that defines the whole film, more or less, in, in its choice of animation style. Right, but in a subtle way, which I appreciate, mm-hmm. too. Like, rewatching it, yeah. uh, like, they could have very easily had him had, like, a 
like a board, like a piece of wood or something that he like yeah. slides oh, on that wood. Didn't. Yeah. Uh, and instead they opted to have a much more fluid thing. Like uh, there's a few spots where it's mm-hmm. like, oh, well, that's a really long take of him like sliding on a thing. But it, uh, he's very quickly yeah. jumping into full on swing or like uh, like knuckle walking. And oh, my God, are we, at some point we have to talk about the design for Tarzan's like feet yeah. and hands because uh, yeah. that's so great in this. But. Uh, but like it is very fluid and it, it, it all it all works for this person who's just so at home where he is mm-hmm. like the jungle is his home and he is so well conditioned for it. Uh, and and it, when you're watching it, not knowing about the surfing or pardon me, the skateboarding component, it doesn't feel out of place. It doesn't feel like a forced thing. And it could have. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, actually, I think this is a great uh, place to talk about the design because for me, the design makes this movie. Um, you know, I watched it last night with the lighting designer and another costume designer. And of course we go, well, the period is a little off because Jane is in bustle and that's a weird choice for Jane, but that's the only design thing that I think is weird in the movie. Um, but yeah, no, I think... One, because we'd never seen someone this nude in a in a Disney film before. We'd never seen this much of a male or female form, really. Um, and but they leaned into it in a way that, well, one, they didn't want to sexualize him because he's um, a you know a children's character. But at the same time, you didn't need to because it was just a fact of who the character is and they do so many beautiful things. And because of that, we can see his muscles move and the way that his feet sit in a very different way than they naturally would as human. Um, and that was uh, where we, we spent a lot of time last night just talking about the beauty of uh, how this character is animated um, you know, for the film. Yeah, like the so they go to great lengths and they can do this in an animated film um, in a way that you can't really with a live action. Uh, like Tarzan, mm-hmm. I think, was very popular as a live action figure in part because the brand of Tarzan is so much bigger than any individual work associated with him. Uh, yes. You know, like the there's so much from the books that never made it into the movies, and there's so much from the movies that are so iconic for the character that. Um, Aren't, aren't at all in the books, you know, like, so there's all this element. Uh, it's kind of like how uh, on my Men of Steel show, we we're talking about how this Chris Reeve Superman, like Superman movie doesn't look a lot like the comics, but it is a lot like th- what people think of Superman. And like, it's the same way here where uh, you have a character who is such a pop culture figure more mm-hmm. than like a, a more than the work of his canon. You know, like there's no definitive Tarzan story that is any more definitive than any other other aspect of it because those movies added a lot. This movie adds a lot. Like this movie has a very defined take on him. Um, But, but to get back to the first point, which was that like Tarzan was really popular for like live action movies also because it was easy to do. You have a jungle set and you have a couple trained like chimpanzees or like a lion that has like a good lion tamer, like right off screen. Um, and you can do a lot of those shots and it's very, it looks, it looks great. And you just need a guy who's like in good shape, doesn't need to be a great actor. And they like wrote him to be simpler than he was in the books, like uh, in terms of like his speech and everything to make it, you know, all you need is a a great looking actor and you can just throw him up on screen and it looks great. Um, and swinging from vines, really easy to do on film. You just have a rope that you make look like a vine. Like you're there, you're done. Um, but you can't do a lot of like the really ape like things. Like there were a lot of weird choices. Like they, like the hair was usually short in those older movies. Um, and you can't have him like move like an ape because he's not an ape. He's a 20th century actor. Uh, 
so with this, this is the first time where we really see the character having ape-like traits as a result of his upbringing. Uh, so his knuckles are really defined as uh, as like weight-bearing ones. Like his the way his hands sit uh, have this like curled kind of posture to it, and his feet, his toes are really spread out, and he uses them to hold on to things a lot. Like they, he uses them to move around. Like he grabs onto vines with it. He hangs from them a lot. He grabs fruit, and it's all very casual. And that's like a very nice detail to be like this is the, this is the 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 conditioned component of it like how much of like he he fits in so well with the apes because the apes and the humans are really very similar and it's like a cultural difference like it's not yeah. it's not a fundamental difference um so you you see that and that has since been adopted for later movies like uh the i forget the name of it that came out like two summers ago with skarsgård uh Alexander oh, yeah. Scar, yeah, mm-hmm. like they do CGI stuff to make his hands look the same way when he when he puts them on the ground. Like they right. like it's very obvious that the, like the fingertips like f- like flesh out or like it, like get like wider uh, to convey that sort of like oh well he walks around on his knuckles um, yep. and it, it, they do some really cool stuff with this too. Where in, in addition to it just being like a nice design choice, um, when he first meets Jane and he try like he extends his hand to match hers. It's a thematic thing as well because his fingers stretch out in a way that he's not used to because culturally he's mostly used it for walking and for like some manipulation. And when he meets Jane, they use that as a way to tell the story of him finding a person who is like him on a species level where his fingertips like stretch out for the first time. And it's a really cool scene that way that's very subtle. But like everything about this movie is designed to sort of convey him being adaptable and – finding his home and and ultimately having the choice of where he wants to be. You know, like it's not nature and nurture are both important to him and he has to decide where he wants to be on that spectrum. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I thought it was really interesting when the directors talked about the kind of iconography and how they wanted to tell the story. The returning to the touching of hands and the outstretching of the fingers was a really important storytelling aspect of them because it was the first time that he realized how how physically close he was to Jane and like they are the same um, versus how different he then realizes he actually was from the gorillas because they'd set that up throughout them making fun of him as as a child and things. But that's the first moment where we see his connection that he's like, Oh, she's more like me than anybody else I've ever been around. Um, And I think it's a beautiful human moment. um, That moment of connection, which I think is really beautiful and a really simple connection to the story, which I love. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they, like I said, this movie is just full of great setup and payoff throughout the whole mm-hmm. thing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, so sorry, where do you want to go with this next? Uh, <laughs> um, no, you're good. So, I mean, we obviously love this film, but what kind of surprised me was that it wasn't critically successful at all. Um, fans didn't love it. Um, according to Rotten Tomatoes, there's only a 75% approval rating with fans. Um, and that's like 450,000 people that have reviewed it. And it only got up at an 89% with critics. Um, and most of them felt that like, 
uh, it fell short of Disney's best. But like Entertainment Weekly said that it was the greatest um, visual movie, even comparing it, saying that it was greater than The Matrix, and which came out the same year. The first Matrix movie came out the same year, and they felt Tarzan on the uh, on the trees was far more visually entertaining and successful than Keanu doing a, a slow motion backstroke, which to me just kind of I thought was really interesting because a lot of people who talk about Tarzan all talk about loving Tarzan. But across the board, a lot of the critics hated the story, which to me is some of the strongest Disney writing of the time, because we after Aladdin, the movie stopped doing quite as well critically. And then you had Mulan, which had a high point. But then, like, you've got Hercules and Hunchback and then this one who, like, people loved, but they didn't really like go ham for like they did for the other stuff. So that's just something I think now that I have found completely shocking. Um yeah, I mean, Especially. it's a, it's it, like it's a different kind of movie than what Disney had sort of become known as like the their brand. You know, it, while it is a musical, there isn't a lot of singing in it. Like there's a lot of Phil Collins music playing in the background right. to sort of to set the scene. So it's that is a very particular kind of thing. Like you don't get big musical numbers with all aside from uh Aside from trash in the camp, uh, you don't have big yep. musical numbers with all the all the people involved in it. So, which is very appealing to kids. So that you're missing that. Um, it's uh, you know, if you're not into gorillas, you're probably not going to enjoy the majority of the cast <laughs> of the movie for yeah. the majority of the movie. Uh, so there's that. You know, it, it it so it probably wasn't quite as marketed towards girls in that regard. I remember the toys not being great. You know, it's just kind of generic, like fight a leopard toys, like like battle damage Tarzan. And there's there's a great Great toy that got pulled, and I have it in my show notes, so everybody can go to the show notes on the website and look at it right now. It's called uh, Reptile Repeating Rad Repeating Tarzan, and so he makes the scream, and then he has two arm motions that were, um, let's say, not approved by parents. Uh, so he makes a fighting motion, but if he doesn't have a weapon in his hand it is a a not exactly family friendly motion that this toy is making um uh and i went to find one on ebay they're about 500 dollars a piece uh and it just made me laugh but yeah no the toys were spread out among a bunch of different companies and were incredibly generic um like even his body sculpt was really generic and i think he has a really unique body um but yeah it's uh I yeah, and he doesn't know. have a flashy design. Like he, no. like he doesn't look like much. Like they go, they sidestep the issue of like what would the loincloth be like and just have it be brown. So you know, because like there's the iconic like leopard pattern, but like that would mean a lot in this movie because they do some thematic stuff with leopards that yeah. would be that would be a big thing if that was what he was rocking for the rest of the movie. Yeah. Uh, so that's, you know, so it's just brown. He's tan, like, and noticeably tanner than the rest of the humans in the cast. So that that's a thing. Like, you know, his his hair, his his skin, and his, his outfit are all earth tones. And he's not, you know, he's lean. Um, and he's got, like, cool anatomy. But he doesn't have, like, cool clothes. He doesn't have, like, yeah. he doesn't have, like, visually distinct things that'll set him apart on, like, a toy shelf. You know, right. it, and they couldn't do a lot with, like, the weapons that are associated with Tarzan. Like, the knife and spear are very, like, iconic things for him. In mm-hmm. And, you know, <laughs> you're, like, I, I was noticing this, like, there's a point where he, you know, stabs a thing to death. And there's, like, no blood. I'm like, that scene is devoid of red. Yeah. And that's interesting because that's not how it would be. Uh, it, that would be yeah. a goddamn bloodbath right there. 
Uh, and you, you know, you can't do anything with those weapons. Like a knife, like it, it's just a small thing that he's holding. Like it could be any you problem. You can't show blood in a Disney movie. I think that was the rule at the time. And I think it's still a rule. Um, not that I want blood. I just, I just mean right. that like a, a small knife that's like a stone knife doesn't mm-hmm. stand out on a, as a toy, you know, it's not like, right. Well, especially, big, be, especially because the Clayton action figure had a machete. So actually, okay. I want to talk about Clayton a little bit. So he's a really interesting villain study, I think, um, because he's not like a lot of the other villains that we've had. I think he's one of the scariest because like Frollo, he's real. He's a real human being. And while um, the leopard villain aspect is only acting according to nature Clayton has made every decision to be this monstrous human being and that's what makes him so scary but also I think he's such a heightened character that then gets the, the one of the most heightened deaths. Um, I love his death that shot I love it is too. almost oh, perfect and oh my god the, the only time we see him hanging is in the flashes of lightning it's the most yes. Disney thing but I also I think really, really effective storytelling wise that that's the only, and that he did it himself. Like that Tarzan tries to stop him. I think that's a really, really kind of important thing, but he's such an interesting villain who to me, no one talks about because I guess it's also a thing of not many people talk about Tarzan. Um, Cause like even at Disney property, Tarzan is used as a special, a special event character, he and Jane, or a training character. I know someone out there who's worked in entertainment is probably going to correct me. Um, but I know recently they only have had him out for pass holder events. In August, he was just out um, for uh, uh, the the event then. Um, and also he's kind of risque because as a meet and greet character, he's just in some burlap sandals and a loincloth. <laughs> um, oh, Tarzan, yes. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, not not Clayton. But I, I think yeah. it's interesting that Clayton seems to be a forgotten villain who to me is one of the scariest. I, I think Clayton is such a great character in it. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because, like, so the, this movie takes a lot of, like, here's the Tarzan lore and we are going to only care about certain things and, like, try to further the story. So, like, uh, like Clayton is sort of Tarzan's cousin in the books. Like, uh, but it's not like that character is so different than what this character is because, like, Tarzan's right. real name is John Clayton. Um, so, like, they oh, totally yeah. sidestep that uh, completely. You know, it's uh, in the in the books. It's like this whole thing where it's like, oh, he just happens to be on this expedition, meets him, uh, and like Tarzan decides to not like reveal his identity when he finds out who he actually is, so that it doesn't screw up this other guy's life, and then he ends up dying anyway. And Tarzan's able to claim his family fortune, uh, but it's it because it, it's Pulp Fiction and it's crazy. Uh, right. <laughs> um, but so they like the name is like the only thing really attached to this character prior to it. And like I said, it doesn't have that same connotation. So it's only in this Disney movie. There's no outside, like this is a villain and other stuff kind of thing. And then like, he's kind of like Gaston in, but like um, less musical theatery, you mm-hmm. know, so, uh, in terms of like what his threat is, what is he to this world? Now he's a, a more egregious example. Like he, uh, he is suaver and he's smarter than Gaston, mm-hmm. but he's like of the same mold. He's like a, a better version of that. And he's an example of like, this is all the dangers of civilization and greed. Yeah. Like it's all the things that Tarzan doesn't want to be. And it's that lesson there. Um, 
but you know, it, like I said, the, he, he is also very charming and he's not obviously bad until he is all of a sudden very obviously bad. So you don't have him being the antagonist for most of the movie. You like, you know, he is because someone has to be, and he seems sort of underhanded, but like not really. And like to everyone's face, he's like very charming. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, we're going to do bad stuff. Uh, so maybe that's yeah. also part of it where like, you don't have a whole movie hating him. You have a, the third half of the movie. Or yeah. the last third of the movie hating him. Yeah. 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 No, I, yeah, I think, I think it's good. And it's especially cause this is the last movie of the Disney Renaissance, which I think is something very important to talk to you that like compare this with little mermaid 10 years prior Disney animation shifted so much. Clayton's also one of the only villains that's not inherently queer coded. Um, you know, which is something whether they intentionally or unintentionally did. You've got like him and Frollo and a little bit of Gaston. Um, but a lot of these like main Disney movies, he's only as foppish or as feminine as like the genteelism of the period allowed him to be, which I think is also normally there's a heavy foppishness to a character and he's got almost none, like n- absolutely none. No, I, I mean, it, it might just be that, like, the story that they're specifically telling here uh, sort of transcends that, since we're, we're talking about then, yeah. like, species uh, overlapping. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, like I said, he sort of represents the worst parts of civilization, uh, mm-hmm. which, mm, yeah, I don't know. It, I, I don't want to, like, weigh in too heavily on in this one because I haven't really spent much time thinking about Clayton in terms of like queer culture. Uh, but yeah. Uh, yep. I you mean, know, I like I him know. as a villain, like yeah, it, I, the fact I that it is his, his fault, like as a manipulator, he's mm-hmm. great. He, he, the, you know, there's a, a great shot in the uh, strangers like me song where Tarzan swings out to join the camp and immediately tries to match the posture of Clayton who mm-hmm. represents sort of like traditional masculinity. Mm-hmm. Like he's modeled after Clark Gable, you know, it's voiced by Brian blessed, you know, he's mm-hmm. like, he's big barrel chested. Like he's the, the explorer that like mm-hmm. people used to think about when they thought about people going off to Africa, as opposed to someone yeah, like Tarzan who has dreadlocks and like, you know, is just eating fruit and just like fits in with nature. Like this is, this is that conquer this colonial component. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, and so maybe that's why you don't even need to bother with like yeah, specific yeah, sexuality think- because, because this is the restrictions of traditional Western civilization like uh, so maybe yeah. so he's the repressive component he doesn't want people yeah. to be themselves he wants them to fit into cages yeah yeah i mean absolutely literally um i do think it was interesting that they made the choice to not have tarzan leave africa and not go to london because i know in the novel he goes to london and is treated very poorly um but because they were focusing on family i love that it, it's that moment he has the opportunity to leave, um, but then goes back to save the family because they only ever get to the boat, which I think was actually really smart in the way they tell the story to not have him leave. Yeah. I, so like the I, I think everything with his family in this is a really well done choice. Um, mm-hmm. So like Tarzan being raised by apes of any kind is kind of a, a conceit that is a Pulp Fiction thing, but it's hard to yeah. really make work in the real world. 
Um, and, and like in the books, it's like they say apes and they kind of uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs doesn't really know that much about the anatomy and like the different types of primates out there. So we know that gorillas are different than the apes that Tarzan is raised by. And so you think they're chimpanzees, but maybe they're just some sort of generic concept of apes. Mm-hmm. It's really vague. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you get into like, well, so what? Like, so it's easy to do gorillas for a movie because they're big and imposing and right. they are a thing that we actually know about. In fact, we know a lot about now. Um, but like people have like tried to postulate that, well, maybe there's some sort of like just hairy hominid, like Homo erectus or something. Uh, there's a great book called Tarzan Alive, where it's like Tarzan's memoirs. At, like he's recounting it to a journalist who's like he's like explaining his whole life, and he like makes a very strong point that like no, these are like er, like a species closely related to humans that just happen to look ha- like apes to us because we, anything that looks like kind of hairy, we assign like an otherness to. Um, and that was like sort of a, a way of justifying like how he could speak and how he could be, you know, a mm. functional part of that society. Uh, in this movie, they're like, all right, gorillas are really well known. We also know culturally now that they are uh, that they are gentle, like that mm. that had filled like filtered out into pop culture where people were aware that the killer ape myth had was a thing at this point, mm. like you know, or rather that it was a myth at this point. It wasn't. A dangerous thing that we we people knew about silverback gorillas having displays of like of strength that weren't actually violent conflicts like that all was a thing that people were aware of and they could actually make jokes about it in in this movie because it's you know the they play up uh, uh, Jane and her father as being like scientists trying to find out all these things that at this point become filtered out into pop culture science like you know uh, having nests uh, social grooming like like those those were those were becoming widely understood aspects of guerrilla culture. And you could use that to sort of set the stage of like, all right, these gorillas are actually gentle. They are, they are the, they are a way of doing like the noble savage concept without it feeling quite so awkward because there is a certain right, amount of romantic rightness to it. Like gorillas are, are big and they move in groups. So they don't have natural predators in the sense of like for the group. Like if, the, if a, one goes astray, they will be attacked by like a predatory species. But like as a group, it is very difficult for them to be engaged with directly. And so they're very, they're very safe. Like they, they don't have natural threats that way, uh, you know, and, and they do a good job with this with one weird component, which is that like the Sabor, the, the leopard uh, attacks them at one point inside their pod, like their pod or, mm-hmm. or I forget what the term for a gorilla group is called called family. We'll call, we'll call it family. So like in, in their big family, the Sabor attacks like one of them. And I'm like, oh, that's that's a weird choice because there's a lot of like 400 pound things right there. Uh, and like the fact that you can take on like the biggest, you know, like 600 pound thing is cool. But there's a lot of those guys there. <laughs> like uh, that, that's a weird choice for a cat to do. But maybe, you know, it was old and couldn't couldn't run as quickly or something, you know, whatever, like whether or not that was like the same cat. I mean, that's a very old cat. I mean, technically, like, it's been, like, at least 18 years, 19, 20, 21 years since. Yeah, uh, I, I assume that's, that that is an old cat. Yeah, like, I, I assume that that is not the same leopard, that this is a thematic component, like, mm-hmm. because there's got to be more leopards out there. You, you, you wouldn't just have one, even no, if their territory is pretty large. just one, all of Africa, one leopard. Right. Uh, just one. But, but still, like, the... 
like apes we knew about, we knew that they had a, or rather gorillas we knew about, we knew that they had particular behaviors. People were aware of this and they're like chimpanzees are a little bit uh, more aggressive in the wild. Mm -hmm. So this was a great way of having like, yes, this is actually a really docile species out there that has a consistent structure based around a central male uh, patriarch that is not a bully the same way some other cultures have it. Like there's a little bit of that because like, you know, it's, it's also not a good idea to like overly romanticize any particular species, but Mm -hmm. we know that humans can go and live amongst them and like study them. And it's not a huge deal. Like it's not good. Like it's not going to like risk life and limb to go do it. You can have your Jane Goodalls. Uh, You can, you can learn about gorillas and it's so, uh, and this is sort of a way of taking that component of it infusing it with Tarzan, which like the Tarzan books are like full of violence and, you know, cartoonish kind of conflicts between, you know, like tusk bearing, like apes just like snapping at each other's throats and Tarzan, like having his, like part of his skull or like uh, part of his hairline ripped off by a gorilla when he's a kid, because gorillas are so dangerous and crazy. You know, they, they sidestep that and they made uh, it, it much safer and much, much smaller. Um, and maybe that's also kind of why Tarzan isn't as popular as it could right. be because they, they went for a smaller thing, you know, in the, in the books, his big threats are lions. And in this, it's a leopard, which is a big threat, but it's not mm-hmm. as big a threat as a lion. Literally. Like it's just, it's a smaller yeah. cat. Like, uh, and the, the, the group that he's in, like they, they have nests and they like pick ticks and they like have fruits and they have great shots of the gorillas, like taking twigs and sticking them into termite mounds, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, which is actually really more of a chimpanzee thing. We've seen gorillas use tools, but not, that like that particular example is is well known for chimpanzees, uh, but it, you know, yeah, no, Sorry. I agree. well, it's it's obvious there was some research that was done because they decided <laughs> to do the jungles of Africa versus the plains of Africa because yes, while they touch, there is this idea of what Africa is to a lot of Westerners, which you know is again tying into that really misconceived notion that a lot of specifically white Westerners have of other countries in that way. But I think, I think it really blends in and helps tell a really beautiful, um, version of, of this story and kind of helped when they were using the program D canvas to use kind of to develop the backgrounds and things. I think the jungle is just kind of beautiful and rich and it was kind of pre-industrial, which I also think was really important to the story. Yeah. Um, so I want to do a fun little exercise that we've played before uh, over on your Another Pass podcast. Um, what do you think really holds up about Tarzan? Like, if you could pick three or four things, what do you think really holds up? Um, okay, so <laughs> three or four things. Uh, so the the first act, I think, is amazing. I think that, that uh, you know, like I said, it's structurally, it's, it's, I think, great. But the way that they develop the, the leopard, who doesn't come back after the first act, but as the threat that both killed the, uh, the, the gorilla's baby, uh, the mm-hmm. like Hollis mm-hmm. child, uh, as well as Tarzan's parents, and was this threat that just existed in, in the wilds. And, like, this is the danger of the wilds. And Tarzan um, is represented throughout this as trying to learn to be a part of nature. Like, he... Uh, they they set up all these things about him that then come back later in the movie that he likes to mimic that he's good with communicating with other animals mm-hmm. that that he is trying his best like that it is his goal to be to be like as good at nature as possible mm-hmm. uh, you know like because he feels so isolated and left out um, and then when you get to the end of the third act which is when uh, Sabor attacks 
initially uh, it Tark, uh, Turk and Tarzan, and then they it fights Kerchak and uh, hurts Kerchak terribly. And Tarzan swoops in, and we have this wonderful fight sequence between Tarzan and Sabor the Leopard, where we yeah. finally get to see Tarzan at his prime. Like the moment, I mean, for one thing, this fight holds up so well that James Cameron took it almost shot for shot for the end of the first act of Avatar when Jake Sully fights the weird like <laughs> alien guy. Like, they go into the same damn tree <laughs> and like... Do. It's it's almost shot for shot, except it ends with him running away. Where in this case, Tarzan wins, and it, he wins through ingenuity. He he wins through a weapon that he built that without seeing any weapon like it. You know, he had never seen a spear, and he he made one. And you you see in the the montage of. Um, uh, Son of Man, like that that whole song number, him like learning about tools and stuff by way of him like taking what apes are doing and what he's seeing other animals are doing and emu- mm-hmm. like emulating that. Mm-hmm. Like he uh, he very clearly figures out spears um, from like a rhino's horn. So we get to this point where like Tarzan wins against the thing that not only killed his parents but also killed the child of Kerchak and Kala. So like the this like looming threat right there, and you get this triumphant Tarzan roar. It's the best damn moment in the whole movie uh, Mm -hmm. where like he does like he lifts up the thing that had been this huge threat and then he's like such a hero to his people and for the first moment right there he is fully accepted by everyone and then he takes the body and presents it to Kerchak and the like that could have been the end of the movie right there where Kerchak finally just accepts him and you know he's about to like his his eye work is is great right there I mean it's an animated thing so it's not like the actor mm-hmm. but like like uh, and you can tell that's about to happen and then act two starts with a crack of a gunshot and that yep. s- suddenly shifts it because all of a sudden humans are there and that breaks this world that like that's such a perfect sh- transition into act two uh, and then everything after that like is still great but that first act that rise of Tarzan in the wild like that's what we're here for like it's so cool like the idea of a of a human living amongst the apes and learning to be as good if not better at, at doing some of these jobs like he, he's different obviously he's not as strong as a gorilla but he can also climb still even though he's because he's only half their weight uh, right but that that whole act is such a perfect story right there and then the way that like it ends you know like because if you're making a tv show like the the gunshot sound and the gorilla's all like fleeing and tarzan looking back and then credits like you like that would be a perfect short mm-hmm. right there mm-hmm. uh it, it, that holds up, I think, so well, like narratively speaking, um, because then you introduce new new conflicts and whatnot. Um, yeah. But but that it, it's such a satisfying first act because a lot of movies are just a race to the second act. And this is one where you don't have that problem. Mm-hmm. Like, it's really compelling the whole way. Uh, so that's like one thing I think really holds up well. Um I, you know, visually, I think there is something to be said about the 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 graphics in relation to like the Matrix, for example. Like mm-hmm, there there are spots mm-hmm. where it's a little slop or not sloppy. Like it's, you can see the like the smoothness of CG that wasn't quite there yet. Um, but mm-hmm. it's because it's so well integrated, it it doesn't hurt. Like it, like there's <laughs> there's so many shots where it's like oh yeah that's a CG shot but it, it, it is so well blended in with the drawn animation that mm-hmm. I think th- that holds up amazingly well um, I don't know like <laughs> one other thing no I agree you know? yeah uh, and the voice cast is all great so like, good I I hadn't really looked them up until I was doing the research and then I was like 
Oh, I, I was like, you know, who'd be a great Jane mini driver. And then I was like, oh, that's because mini driver was Jane. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's a beautiful, subtle voice cast. I think they just they all understood the nuances of the film that they were they were working on in the story they were telling. And I think just really top to bottom, the whole voice cast was so good. I do think it's funny that Woody Allen was originally Tantor. And uh, yeah. Jeffrey Katz, yeah, Jeffrey Katzenberg stole him over to, um, I guess, Universal through DreamWorks for uh, for, for uh, ants, ants uh, by promising to produce Woody's next four films. And I was like, oh, Jeffrey Katzenberg, deep enemy of the pod, did something good for Disney, <laughs> getting rid yeah. of uh, Woody Allen before um, before uh, all of that could come out. But uh, and yeah, for well, me, and on top I of that, Wayne Knight is perfect for this part because Wayne, Wayne Knight's so good. Like yeah. he, he is a little bit of a bigger guy, so that. But yeah. but you know, yeah, no, like obviously Newman was like a big role for him that like kind of shaped how people saw the actor. Mm-hmm. Um, but that works perfectly here. Like he's not the same character, but you've got the same kind of like a little bit of that neuroses. Like you can really see yeah. that kind of an actor uh, playing this part, who is very physically large and imposing, but at the same time. He and I love that they do this with the elephants are all like uh, very erudite and and, um, <laughs> and uh, like a little neurotic, you know, <laughs> like when yeah. they get like all stirred yeah. up into a frenzy. Like that's actually pretty good for an elephant because like they like, you know, don't have great vision. So like little things moving around kind of freak them out. That's why there's the the reputation of mice being scary to them. Um, yep. It was great for as a way to like as a way to tell what is the personality of this particular species that is very important. Like elephants are a big part of Tarzan. Um, and that, that worked really well without it being overwhelming because also if you have an elephant friend, uh, there are not a lot of physical threats that are going to be that imposing to you. Even though he's a big, even though he's a big, uh, cry baby. I mean, honestly, for me, I think one of the, best parts of this movie is the score, both of Phil Collins and, um, and the actual like film orchestral score. Um, and I liked that early on they decided that having Tarzan be a sad half naked man in a tree singing was going to be ridiculous. So they just didn't do it. Um, and like trash in the camp works. I think it's funny. I think that moment or, or Kala singing, to him really beautifully I think is such a sweet maternal moment Um, yeah I almost that's the one spot where I kind of wish that it never broke back into Phil Collins like the the you'll be in my heart was so perfect with like Glenn Close and like being this mother like I I, we do need to talk about Kala for a bit because they do such a good job Mm -hmm. of making Mm -hmm. this ape feel like his mother and do such a good job understanding and relating to this character you know like you know the way that she you know first like here's all the superficial similarities we all have two hands Mm -hmm. two feet you know two Mm -hmm. eyes like like yeah I've got a you know four fingers and a thumb and yeah my hand looks a little different but like when you get down to it like like even all those like superficial trappings aren't the important part. It's it that we each are, you know, we each have a heartbeat. We each, we each are a person and it doesn't matter what thing you're focusing on right there. Like it, uh, which is ultimately the lesson at the end where it's like those superficial similarities that he finds with humanity uh, don't matter as much either because he ultimately decides mm-hmm. that like he, he loves his family and he's responsible for his family now and he's been entrusted with their safety, and that's the most important mm-hmm. thing to him. Like he can't let himself get caught up. Um, yeah. You know, I like. I think we all hope that after this, like Tarzan is able to travel the world a bit. But like, it's also nice that he is 
home with his mother. Like, oh, and that she lives, that she lives, mm-hmm. a Disney, a Disney mom that lives. <laughs> Well, it, you know, it's because they killed his other Disney mom. So, like, <laughs> right. you know, they couldn't. Um, I also think it's really, really important that Jane does a lot of the saving of Kala in the battle with Clayton's men. That, like, Jane is the one that, like, gets them to let go of her cage and gets her out of the cage. I think that's a really important moment as well. Um that they give Jane. I think Jane has some really nice urgency in the same way that Kala has urgency in a way that we haven't seen out of a Disney mother. Cause typically we don't see a Disney mother. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think, I think the women in this film are giving kind of a beautiful agency and kind of a beautiful equal role to the male characters um, in many, many ways, which I also think is really, really stellar. Yeah. Um, go ahead. Oh, uh, so I was going to segue talking about women characters. So it's also interesting that they uh, that Turkina is a character in this movie. So Rosie O'Donnell mm-hmm. is like this the, this comic relief gorilla in their group, uh, but like Turkina is a female version of Turkoz from the books, which is actually Tarzan's rival, um, who even, eventually he just like lets take over the his like pod and like leaves. Um, but like. The, the decision, instead of it being, yeah, we're not going to have, like, them, like, having bloody conflicts for, like, trying to vie for seniority. We're going to have just a, a character who is, like, might pick on him a little bit, but is, like, a big sister. Uh, and, mm-hmm. like, eventually they, they come around to, like, really loving each other. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, speaking of which, this is, like, a great setup and payoff. So his wrestling with uh, with Turkina and how he mm-hmm. gets a little out of control at the end of the first act when he yeah. realizes that Sabor might be there and he accidentally like, chokes her out is a great setup for then later when he fights uh, fights with Kerchak. Uh, and he accidentally, like, go, like, chokes him a little too hard and, yeah. like, hurts him really bad uh, bef- like <laughs> and thus gets kind of exiled from his family as a result. Like... Uh, that's just like a great setup, and it's the he's doing a wrestling move that wouldn't be done in the wild. It's it's him figuring out a like a way to fight using his own physicality. Yeah, that is absolutely. a very civilized component, or or rather, like a very human yeah, component. Yeah, yeah. And being well, a little I, afraid. Yeah, well, and I think it's interesting that Turk was originally supposed to be a male character, but Rosie O'Donnell came in for the role, um, and then they decided after she read that it needed to be a female character. Because um, almost to me, the gender of Turk doesn't matter um, in in so many ways, especially how the story is presented. But I think it's interesting that she is a female character because there is a caring nurture about her um, being his friend. So, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those interesting things. I do like that they didn't – that like – Kerchek is his biggest adversary and didn't give him too many more adversaries within the pod and within the the, the uh, gorillas because then it almost seems like they've slated too much against him and him overcoming it is his obvious hero's journey mm-hmm. um, that he has to overcome all of this. But there's almost it's almost too much adversary at that point for for this one character to have. Um, also, you need you need characters to sell plush because it's a Disney movie. So Kerchak was a great choice for that. <laughs> um, there's always, you know, one or two because you got to get those plush sales in. But, yeah, no, I think those were those are all really there. I think for me, there's almost nothing wrong with this movie in so many ways. But is there anything that after seeing it or being an adult now that, you know, understands film and whatnot? Is there anything you would want to change? 
about this this uh, this movie? No, like like I said, I think they they were doing a really good job with a property that is much bigger than any particular source material, mm-hmm. uh, and I think they adapted it in a way that was really good for the era. You know, there's. There's maybe a couple, like I know, like I said, like I think if Kala had sung more because that was an appropriate time um, to have that mother's voice, like it's that's a little weird that it switches to Phil Collins. Mm-hmm. And there's elements I like the I like the Phil Collins songs, but there are elements where you're like, man, this is really Phil Collins right now. Like, yeah. <laughs> like it's a little bit much, but it's not it's not because I dislike any of the songs. Like I I really love both Son of Man and Strangers Like Me. I think those are great tracks that I would. Uh, and would and have had on like workout playlists and stuff because mm-hmm. especially son of man because that's such a like a, a pump up bops. kind of song all of yeah. them are such bops like all of them i find myself listening to the soundtrack probably a couple times a month because i just find it so enjoyable and i'm not partic- i'm not particularly a phil collins fan so you know it's it's uh you know it's it's it, you know it's in the grand scheme of things i think i think it's really wonderful um, which, you know, I do think is interesting that they did then decide to turn it into a musical like that. That to me is really strange that, that they finally that this was one of the ones they decided to turn into a, a musical for Broadway. Yeah, I mean, I think that it like Disney was it doing a, a run of successful musicals at that point. Uh, not that they have stopped, but uh I, I think they were just testing to see what properties could be good, and especially ones that maybe had less um, distinct uh, versions that people cared mm-hmm. about. You know, mm-hmm. like the, like like you said, this one wasn't as talked about, so it was a little bit f- uh, more open mm-hmm. to do a like a Broadway remake where it wouldn't like people wouldn't question it as much you know like right. a lot of the other ones people are like why are you even bothering we have such a perfect version of that right there like they had to make a very strong claim with with lion king where it's like okay we were going very different in art style yeah, to, like, to set why? it apart why i mean in frozen i get only because they're trying to capitalize on every ounce of frozen that they can so um but the thing was is this this kind of did catastrophic this this did really poorly and they kept it running in the red for months before they finally closed it and then little mermaid opened a couple years later and also did not do very well uh oh you had mary poppins in there before um which had already been running in london and so that and to me mary poppins does lend itself to have kind of a full musical production of it um, yeah, I mean it's a so- it's a live show for starters, yes. or like a live action yes. show, yeah. um, like that. I think worked really well. I remember li- I so I didn't see Tarzan. I think it closed too fast for either. me to. Yeah, me too. Yeah, uh, I've listened to the soundtrack. I cannot remember what the big differences are because I can't say that I go back mm-hmm. to that soundtrack very often. Nope. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so it's probably been like ten years since I've listened to it. Uh, but like Mary Poppins, I remember liking well enough, and like the because it's you've got very like distinct visuals that are easy to replicate because there's already people wearing those things. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like I think they just wanted to try another take on Tarzan because Tarzan is a lucrative property that is big in pop culture. Even if its star has faded a bit, um, you know, it's, it's not as big as it was in the forties and fifties, but it's still, it's not, it's not as big as it was back when they named a California town after it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, it's also, it's a, Hard. It's a hard story to continue asking why we're telling the stories of colonization 
and like why we are using colonization as like a positive use of in literature. So I, you know, I think we're at a point where it's like, maybe we tell other stories or we talk about how terrible colonization was. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, but you know, it's, it's, I've studied Disney for a while. I've worked for them. I hope to work for them again, but sometimes I don't understand why they do what they do. Like, this is a good transition to talking about our run of live-action reboots of Disney animated films. And in August of 2019, just before Disney 23 started, D23 events started this year, it was announced we were getting a reboot of this movie, possibly starring Ryan Reynolds. Let's talk oh about my God. that for I a little bit. did not see that news. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my uh, god. Yeah. I didn't see that cuz D23 had so much going on. I, I like that was kind of overshadowed yeah. or shadowed. Oh my god. Um I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> I, I mean, it's just rumors. Nothing's been officially confirmed, but like it's like anything where in the internet time we can hear little things or Disney Disney loves to leak things and then see what people say and then decide if they're going to do things or not. I.e. this whole Sony versus Marvel Spider-Man debacle over the last month. I don't um, know why that was news at all. That like that. <laughs> well, especially because everybody talking about it has no idea how actual film contracts and like licensing of characters work at all. Like fans don't understand any of that for the most part, unless you're privy to the industry. Um, but like, man, I, of course, all the fans online are like, well, you know what this means? It means if Disney can get Reynolds, it means Disney will have Reynolds under contract, which means can we get an MCU Deadpool movie? And I was like, well, you may or may not get it anyway, because technically they own it because they bought Fox. So technically they own Deadpool and own Ryan Reynolds anyway. So but what I will say is the idea of Deadpool in a Cinderella dress fills my soul with the deep pleasure um i don't think ryan reynolds is right for tarzan at all i, I, I see why would... they would cast him because he yeah. looks like and or rather he, he classically looks i mean he's yeah. he's getting a little bit older now not that not season oh in, in any way losing it but like ridiculously handsome yeah so. he, <laughs> he, he looks like the character and if you think about him like if you think about him van wilder era or if you even think about him um like with with like uh, I'm trying to think of something like right off the top, like right before Deadpool. Um, but like he, he definitely like has the lean frame yes. and like uh, like longish face that Tarzan mm-hmm. has in this mm-hmm. particular adaptation of it. Um, mm-hmm. Now, also, this particular adaptation of Tarzan is like 20 and Ryan Reynolds is going to be like is like near 40 or just over 40 at this point. Uh, oh, he's, he's like, into his 40s. Yeah. Like I knew he's a couple years older than me, but I wasn't sure by how much. Um so he's like 42. That's, he's 42. Yeah. Like I'm not saying he couldn't play the part. It is a little weird to think of him playing the part of a man 22 years younger. Yeah. I, I, I feel like this is honestly, if they want to make, I've, I had the same conversation about a, an old Disney live action movie earlier. If they're going to reboot it, why not make it a breakout role? You can star stud everything. There are so many cute little muscle boys that are decent actors that all are just vying for a role that are some of these Netflix actors that are just, I don't, I don't understand why 
why you would want to necessarily go straight to Ryan Reynolds. Again, unless they have greater use for him and have decided that they really want to get him in under a uh, several movie contract. I don't, I don't know what, um, uh, I will say if that del Toro haunted mansion happens, he'd be great for that. Cause he's funny. So yeah, uh, hang on. I'm trying to think. Yeah, you're good. But I just, I um, don't, yeah, you know, who would be good. Who's he's a little more established, but would be like a good age and also a, is a good singer. Uh, uh, Blake Jenner from Glee and like everybody wants some, uh, he could fit like a, the Tarzan part, but like that's sort of its own, like the, the casting speculation. Oh, like, yeah, 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 yeah. He's right. I don't, you know, I don't think I was still watching Glee when he was on there. No, I, I, I wasn't either, but uh, I am a big fan of the movie. Everybody wants some. Uh, oh, he also yeah. used to be married to Melissa Benoist. Uh, or, oh, I'm seeing, well, I'm yeah. seeing that. And I was like, I was like, oh wow. She'd actually be a really cute Jane actually. Probably um, not a good choice now. But if they're divorced, let's not do that. Unless they're friends. Who knows? Um, yeah, hard um, to say. Yeah. I mean, Blake Lively could also be a cute Jane if they really are per- pursuing Ryan Reynolds. Like, Blake Lively could also be a cute Jane if they wanted to do do that route. I mean, in my head, Emily Blunt also seems like a perfect Jane, but they're all so old. They're all way too old for these roles. Um, and, you know, I, I know Disney loves having Emily Blunt right now, but maybe we not put her in everything as right. I make that suggestion. Um, it's just hard. And I'm, I'm going, maybe we don't make Tarzan and do a live action movie, considering there have been live action Tarzan movies for a hundred years. Yeah, I don't have Literally. a problem with them making a live action Tarzan movie. Like, this is why I'm like, oh, that's cool that they would do it. It's weird that they would need to a- adapt this one. You know, like I said, there right. have been live action movies since this one, and there were a ton leading up to it. There have been live action shows um, like Tarzan. I like this movie has not defined what the 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 modern myth of Tarzan is like. It yeah. may have shaped a few people into thinking it was gorillas and not chimpanzees, but it's still it's still not the Tarzan that is automatically like our vision of Tarzan. It's just part yeah. of the pop culture lore of Tarzan. Mm-hmm. Because I guarantee if you ask anyone to say what they know about Tarzan, very quickly they'll say, me, Tarzan, you, Jane. Yeah. Um, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll talk about like a guy swinging from a vine, you know, like those, those components are just as big a part still. Um, so I think if they make a live action movie, it's, it's not going to move the needle in a big way. And it would be kind of no. boring just to do the same movie, you know, like I, I love this movie. I think it's great, but I think that, you know, they're going to have to like, they keep changing it these like live action remakes in ways mm-hmm. to like sort of, you know, beef up the running time add you know, add yeah. some other stuff, make it a little bit more uh, distinct so that they can trademark this one or, you know, claim that it wasn't the original writers, you know, so they don't right. pay those people to or right. any, anything like that. You know, all the, all the shady sides of it as well. And at that point, just make a new Tarzan movie. Like <laughs> there, there's so much, there's so much re- source material to reference that you don't even have to be that creative. Like a lot of it's right. in the public domain. You can just, you know, you could take the beasts of Tarzan, like the third book where his son gets mm-hmm. stolen by poachers. And like the whole, the whole book is like a great Tarzan gets back to nature and has to like learn how to be Tarzan again to like find his infant child. Like, go with something like that or, 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 you know, whatever. Like, there's so much stuff mm-hmm. out there uh, that they could just do a new thing. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and because, like, this this is a great movie, but it's not – and it's a very well-written movie. 
but it's not an iconic movie. You know, I don't yeah. need to see this movie adapted. I like to see the property adapted. And and I'm not right. trying to sound like an old fogey on this one because like there have been, you know, like I think there's a, a, a place for it in media to do adaptations and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But like there's no other Lion King. Like there's li- no. like, you know, like, but there's so much Tarzan. It, it's like if you were saying like, well, I'm going to do an adaptation of like or like an animated feature based on you know, the original Chris Reeve Superman movie. It's like, well, but why, like, why would you do that specific story? Like what, what is it about that story? That's so compelling that, that, that that's the central story of that character. Like this, like his, his conflict and everything, it's very well done version of it. But the, the, like him coming to blows the Clayton at the end, isn't the story of this movie. It's Tarzan finding his place in the world. And so you know, you, you could do any set of circumstances and you're going to make changes anyway. So calling it an adaptation as opposed to we're doing a live action Tarzan movie are two different concepts, you know? Right. Right. I no, I, uh, I agree. I, I do just because so much has happened. Like so many people have done Tarzan and then we did just have the scars guard Robbie, um, from two years ago version. And it's like, do, let maybe let's let it sit just a little bit, just a little. But I mean, uh, it it did turn twenty this year, so like, I don't know. Um, so I always kind of end with this question for all my guests on the show. Uh, this was the twentieth anniversary of Tarzan this year. Um, how do you think it holds up in 2019, 2020? Do we find some problematic things about it? Do we see some things that just don't hold up quality wise? Uh, what what do you think? Uh, well, like I said, there's a lot that really does hold up very well. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it is brisk. Uh, it, you know, it's only like 90 minutes. So that all, I think, is fine. Like movie runtimes have leaned longer over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it was shocking in that regard. It's like, oh, wow, we're done. Cool. That was a that was a great race. But I think there's a lot of economy of language here. Like a lot of stuff is really well conveyed in scenes that, like I said, have payoff later. But like they're very small moments. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think for me as a, as an adult, I'm like, this is great. Like, I know exactly what they're doing. Um, I think they, some movies have tended to think that audiences are dumber and might have spent more time on it. But Mm -hmm. I, I I think that this movie was explicitly trying to strip it of problematic elements. Like Mm -hmm. the Tarzan property had a lot of problematic Mm -hmm. elements. And I think Mm -hmm. that generally speaking, this movie being very conscious of that, didn't make some of the slip ups that they might have had it been a different property. Like, I agree. Uh, they were because they were like, whoa, 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 whoa. we're not going to try to be like Native African tribe here, or like, uh, <laughs> or like, well, this is the the cannibal that murdered Tarzan's mother, and so Tarzan hunted him down and murdered him. Like, uh, and it doesn't matter because he's just a brown person. Like, we're not right. we're not going to do any of that in this movie. Uh, that they they got. They got rid of a lot of the things that could have been rough. Uh, mm-hmm. It's already a period piece, so you know you don't need to worry too much about like you know costuming or anything like that. Feeling like dated because it's already supposed to be dated, right. and like yeah, right. there might be anachronisms, but you know it was done for design reasons and and, and all that. And it it's so it visually reads well. Like I said, the the CG blends really well with the with the hand drawn animation. Uh, I think the designs are great. I love how Tarzan looks like his father. 
Um, like there's yes. a shot where 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 Daddy Tarzan, Lord Clayton, uh, is like like rubbing his child's head, and he like smiles, and like they you get like the exact same smile from Tarzan from the same like side mm-hmm. view like profile mm-hmm. view, um, and you know the hair is very different, and the uh, actually his, his hairline looks just like his mother's, and his eyes have like a lot of his mother, yeah, um, yeah. but he, his smile is his dad's, and like that's such a it's really well done design work there. Um, I, I don't think anything doesn't hold up. I think it, like the the worst thing you could possibly say is that the music feels very Phil Collins and Phil Collins feels of an era, yeah. but it's good songs. So that's all good too. Like, I think this movie does a really good job across the board. And aside from like moments where you're like, well, w- would he really be able to learn English still having grown up without language? But no, he did have a language because the apes have a language in this movie. If you take that conceit also, it's a kid's movie. Uh, so like, do we really need to worry about brain damage from lack of development? And, you know, they have the conceit of him being a mimic. So that also kind of explains it. Like they do a good job explaining all the weird things that are Tarzan things. Yeah. And they don't really put anything in there that feels particularly complicated in part because the cast of humans is really small. So you don't have a character who's like, like they were like, we're not going to have like, like Indian porters or like, like I said, African right. tribesmen or anything right. like that. They're like, we're just sidestepping all of this. Um, and in that regard, it, it has not had, it doesn't have anything cringy. It's, it's fine. <laughs> like I, it, like maybe you spotted a thing, but I like nothing struck me when watching no, it where no, I was like, honestly, Oh yeah, this, this wouldn't fly. Yeah. No, honestly, I've got, I've got nothing. I think it holds up really nicely. I think they did a really nice general film um, that, you know, it still holds up. And I think as far as like Disney movies go, especially looking forward to the post Renaissance period, I think everybody was thinking that maybe Disney was hitting a low point, but then we were about to hit a real low point with some of the upcoming films. So, you know, I think, um, you know, I think, I think Tarzan is much better than a lot of people remember. And, you know, without nostalgia goggles on, I think it honestly holds up as one of my favorite Disney movies. Yeah, I mean, like, it's hard to take the nostalgia goggles off. Like, I had goosebumps during the opening scene. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, because it was just so, uh, it, you know, like, it, it's weird that I, I feel like I have more nostalgia goggles for this one than I would for a movie that was, like, really from my childhood. Yeah. Uh, because, like, it hit me at a very particular point. Like, mm-hmm. I was, you know, uh, going, I was freshman, sophomore in high school, and a lot of this movie is about feeling comfortable in your own skin. Uh, and mm-hmm. that's very, Absolutely. very much the high school story right there. Like mm-hmm. the junior high, high school narrative is like, do you feel comfortable in your own skin? No, you don't. Well, here's how you start to learn. And that's exactly that kind of journey. Um, and this movie is that journey right there. And it's done really well. And especially it's done really well because the character has agency. Um, like he yeah. makes the decision to be really good at, at what he does. So that feels very rewarding and empowering. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like Tarzan ca- like comes from problematic roots, but I think the whole thing is so well done here. And, and like I said, this is not the, this is not redefining of the Tarzan myth. Like Aladdin, it's hard to not picture Disney's Aladdin mm-hmm. uh, or little mermaid. It's hard to not picture mm-hmm. Disney's little mermaid. Tarzan doesn't quite hit there. It's not as right. old a myth as some of these other ones, you know, mm-hmm. it's a 20th century story. It's, it's, it's pulp fiction that caught on like gangbusters. Um, but it, like, unlike, say, The Jungle Book, which is a very similar story with a very similar set of circumstances that um, was also from not that far prior when it was like the original work was created. Um, this movie has not 
colored everything about it so much because Tarzan, you know, it was it just it hit California and they started making movies and they like it just like filled up pop culture and just was he, Tarzan was everywhere mm-hmm. for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like I said, so much so that the, like Tarzana is named after Tarzan. Like it's because right. they just they were just big fans of Edgar Rice Burroughs who lived there. Uh, That's so <laughs> like, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Oh, that's so interesting. It's such, it was such a breakout property that became such a thing in American pop culture that, uh, it, this movie is just one more example of it. It's like, uh, Mm -hmm. like if they made another King Kong movie, I think it'd be in the same kind of category where it's such a part of film already that there's, you're never going to have a more definitive one than what's already come, Mm -hmm. but you might have like a really good distillation of one. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that's what Tarzan is. Like he's such a, this is such a good distillation of the Tarzan mythos. Like you show it to someone, there's nothing problematic. There's nothing that's too impossible in there. You know, Mm -hmm. like we're not dealing with like lions just wandering around the jungles, which would be not exactly how it work. We're not dealing with like wildly impossible, like, you know, anatomy of things minus the mm-hmm. fact that he can speak to animals, which is the conceit of a cartoon. You know, it's a children's movie. That's all fine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it works really well and they tell a really good story. And, uh, you know, the, the message is a message that I think, uh, was popular in the nineties and one was one of the best parts of the nineties. Like the idea right. of looking past everyone's differences and moving on. And I think that <laughs> part of the, uh, the, the song and dance of nine 11 destroyed everything. Um, like is that we stopped having as much uh, like of an openness in our narratives for a while there. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're trying to fight our way back to where we were in the nineties even like, and that's, that's frustrating um, to look at, but this is like great that this still exists. Like where you can look at this and be like, yeah, this was, this was solid and it was narratively well done and it was visually well done and it was directorially well done. Like everything was, they put their a game in and even if people didn't like it because it wasn't as flashy uh, as some of the Disney movies or like have as iconic a lead role as some of the Disney mm-hmm. movies, you know, like, you know, he's not the beast. Like the beast was designed to like look great on toy shelves. And like, mm-hmm. this is, this is not that character, even though they have some sort of narrative similarities. Um, the, it, like, this is, this is just such a, a, a nice, quiet, but at the same time, beautiful movie. And I'm so glad to rewatch it. I, I'm so glad it was made. Cause it's, it's great. Me too. I am. I am so so happy that we have this movie in kind of the the pantheon of what is the Disney kind of Disney films. And I'm with you. I'm I'm really really happy this was made. Like ultimately, I was really happy this 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 came out when it did. Especially because like at one point it was just going to be straight to video. It was going to be sent to Canada to be made by a television animation studio. It had. Two film spinoffs and a television show spinoff. Like Tarzan's done just well for itself with Disney. <laughs> so, but hopefully, with it being mm-hmm. on Disney Plus and and everything, it will encourage everyone to watch it more. And well, if you haven't seen it and you listen to this whole thing, go watch it. <laughs> yeah, go watch it. Disney Plus will this by the time this uh, this comes out. Disney Plus will have started. Go pay your five dollars a month. Join it. It's going to be worth it. And don't, don't if somehow we beat it, it is so. currently on Netflix when we're recording this. <laughs> oh, it is. Yes, it is. Yeah. So so like yeah, like so. It, even if Matt somehow just like whips this out long before Disney Plus comes out, uh, it's still going to be available to you to stream. So go check it yep. out. Go check it out. I also didn't pay that much for it on Amazon. So. 
as evil as Amazon is, go pick it up somewhere. You will not regret it. It's 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 one to definitely revisit. Well, Case, as always, it's been a huge pleasure having you on the show. Is there any projects coming up that you would like to pitch to the folks at home? Um, in, in terms of stuff, all, most of my stuff is go is ongoing at the moment. Like I said, I've got three podcasts that are all really fun. Another past, like I said, is a movie analysis podcast. So I understand if you don't like the movie, you're probably not going to want to tune into the episode in question. We usually do try to like you know, do a synopsis of the thing, but uh, we do assume that people have watched it. So there are spoilers to be had in, in any given episode, but check it out. See if you there, if there's a movie you liked or didn't like a movie that you found fascinating, but flawed, um, like take a look at there. That's always fun. We're uh, we've been going for g- getting close to three years now. So we've got a pretty good uh, collection of episodes and uh, I'd say about 99% of them I'm proud of. So, so check those out. <laughs> Don't talk about my He-Man episode like that, Case. Come on now. <laughs> um, Scruffy Nerf Herders, we finished our first campaign at episode 50. We are in the midst of our second one, and we've been doing small stories uh, rather than one big campaign. So we've had like different casts coming on. So uh, that's a good. it's a good time to check out that show right now. Like We're not too deep into any particular continuity. There's some, there's some plot threads that are being dropped between it all, but like the, the actual narrative is really easy to pick up it's all like one to two parters uh the longest one we've done was a three-parter since the the since the 50 episode first campaign wrapped up uh so great time to check those out and it's it's pretty easy to tell who like if it's in the middle of a story or not because i because the artwork the episode title the descriptions all indicate where it is like if it's a part one part two or part three of a show so check those out and men of steel is just like a gush fest so if you like superman come check it out Amazing. So where can they find you online specifically? Uh, all of that is at certainpov.com. I am also on Twitter actively at Case Aiken. Um, I talk a lot about Superman and also just general nerd stuff. So check that out right uh, right there. And uh, yeah, that's the, that's the big ways for people to find me. Great. Yeah. You guys should definitely follow Case on Twitter because I'm not a big Superman fan, but he ends up pulling all of these really amazing Superman-like characters and Superman-type characters out that really, really, I I enjoy seeing his Twitter and Instagram posts every day about them. So you guys should go and join that. Well, thanks again, Case. Thank you for, for having me on. Yeah. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of Dole Whip and Dreams Podcast. If you liked today's episode, don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Remember, we're an independently produced show, so your five-star ratings and thorough reviews help us get moved up in the charts. If you like what we're doing, you can hop over to our Patreon and pledge $2 a month. That's it, $2 a month to let us know you care, you enjoy our programming, and you want to help us grow and improve the quality of each episode. Now, if you want to continue the conversation after today's episode, check out our Facebook page to engage with other dreamers just like yourself. And to see what we're doing for future episodes, find us on Instagram and Twitter. Now, next time, we'll journey into the Cave of Wonders where Matt Storm, a.k.a. Stormageddon, and I take a deep dive to find a diamond in the rough and discuss the 1992 blockbuster Aladdin. Now, until next time, dreamers, may your days be filled with the whip and dreams.